There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, I'm Ethan Adelman, and this is Psychoactive, a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. Psychoactive is the show where we talk about all things drugs. But any views expressed here do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Protozoa Pictures, or their executives and employees. Indeed, as an inveterate contrarian, I can tell you they may not even represent my own. And nothing contained in this show should be used as medical advice or encouragement to use any type of drug. One of the most popular episodes of Psychoactive to date has been the one where I invited my friend Julie Holland to serve as my co-host and answer questions with me from you, the audience. So we're going to record another one of those episodes, and we need your questions. Leave us a voicemail with a question as detailed as possible at 1-833-779-2460, or you can record a voice memo and send it to psychoactive at protozoa.com. I'm sure it's going to be a great second go at this. Nice to meet you. I'm Isabel. Hi, Isabel. Um, So there's actually no time limit with the booths. People can take as long as they need. Obviously, if they're, you know... Hello, psychoactive listeners. Today, we're doing a different kind of episode. It's, the bathrooms do have a 15-minute time limit, but right now they're serving as the smoking rooms and bathrooms. You know, I've recorded almost all the episodes up to this one from a makeshift studio in a closet in my apartment in New York City. But for this episode, I finally got to come out of the closet 
jump on the subway, and ride a few stops up to East Harlem, just three miles from where I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I headed east toward Park and 126th Street, where one of the bigger harm reduction programs in New York City, now called On Point, is located. I was going there because they recently opened the first government-approved overdose prevention center in the United States. These centers go by many names, safe injection sites, supervised injection facilities, drug consumption rooms, and now, most commonly, overdose prevention centers, because that's really what they're about. They're basically syringe exchange programs with a back room where people can inject or smoke their drugs in the presence of a health professional. That eliminates the risk of dying from an overdose, and it also cuts the health risks associated with injecting, like getting an infection or contracting HIV or hepatitis C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I've visited these things all around the world. Are they they're they're mostly set up? Is this is a very similar setup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's also, and outdoors is somewhat similar to, you know. Now, overdose prevention centers like this one have been operating around the world for decades. There's dozens of them, mostly in Europe, but also in Canada, Australia, and a few other places. You can even find a few in other cities in the U.S., but they're sort of underground, with local police and other city officials quietly looking the other way, but not allowing them to operate openly with official approval, mostly because the federal government regards them as violations of federal law. What makes this center special is that it's now operating openly with legal and political approval by city government. Our former mayor, Bill de Blasio, gave his okay just before leaving office at the end of last year. The current mayor, Eric Adams, is supportive. And New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, has said nothing but seems okay with it. When I turned the corner onto 126th Street, I was a little surprised to see over a dozen people standing outside two doors, one for the harm reduction program and a few feet away, the door to the overdose prevention center. I walked in and was even more surprised, I guess because the streets had been so empty, to see about 50 people sitting around in a large room, about half the size of a basketball court, on chairs and couches, chatting, reading, napping, working on computers. One of the first people I met was Brian, a staff person who had previously worked as an EMT, an emergency medical technician. This is actually my first week, but before me doing this, I was an EMT. Uh Uh-huh. The reason why I came over here is because it's really hard, um, especially trying to harm reduction, being in that um, area. It's really hard, you know, if you're an EMT, you get a call at Central Park that you have a a possible overdose. You know how big Central Park is for one person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, nobody knows who this person is. It's a John Doe, um, could be a DOA. And it's, you know, it's here it's more controlled. You know, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, yep. When someone arrives for the first time, the staff person greeting them at the door collects information about them, including about their drug use. So, um, this is the first time they ever came. You have to fill this out, you know, if they, what are they going to be doing today? If they're not coming to our facility, where they will be using, if they're going to be doing it alone. Yeah. You know, if they were any troubles with cops and stuff like that, how many times have they used in the past 24 hours? He explained to me they also give out overdose prevention kits containing the antidote naloxone which many people call by its most popular brand name, Narcan. If they do want to take a Narcan kit, we'll give them a card. It looks like this, I believe. Yeah. But they're basically like cards saying that they know how to use Narcan in case of an overdose. We'll train them on it and then send them home if they do want to take it. After getting a brief tour of both the Overdose Prevention Center and the Harm Reduction Center right next door, I chatted with the clinic manager. 
My name is Susan Spratt. I'm the clinic manager. Hi, yep. Susan. Ethan, this is Gary, the sound guy. Hi. Okay. You're, not, you're not trying to pull people in or are people from there saying maybe you should go over there? Um, we definitely make sure that everybody knows all the services yeah. that are being offered in, in the building. So everybody, all our staff, whether it's our harm reduction specialists who are really like on the front lines in the yeah. drop-in center and in here, that everybody knows the entire array of services. Uh -huh. So whenever somebody joins us, if they're a new intake, we absolutely will give them a rundown of everything and so they know what they can find here. Uh-huh. What about things like connecting with health insurance? Do you help with things like yes. that? Yes, yep, uh -huh. absolutely. Uh -huh. yep. And what, do you have relationships with the methadone programs in the area and stuff yep. like that? we refer to methadone programs, but also a big thing that we do here in our clinic is we prescribe, our doctors prescribe Suboxone, buprenorphine. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so, obviously, some people prefer to be on methadone, and then, but for some people, methadone can be kind of restrictive. The nice thing about bup, we call it bup, yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, it's something, once you're stable on it you can see the doctor once a month as exactly. opposed to coming in daily or weekly to get a bottle you right, know right, so right. and are some of the staff here are they current users or in the methadone programs or anything like that yeah so you got both both current users and people in methadone buprenorphine yep. working here as well as people in recovery Yes. Yeah, the whole yeah. bit. Okay, yeah. that's great. That's fantastic. Uh -huh. This is where we're hoping to put a pharmacy in that would obviously serve the community, but also would be something we could, so our providers could prescribe, and then the participant can come and get their medication right here. Uh huh. And you have things like acupuncture or massage. Yeah, our or second like floor. That. We have an yeah. amazing the holistics room. You're gonna see that, and and um and it's yeah, it's a, it's a really quiet calm space it smells amazing we have a, a lot of really yeah. amazing volunteers people doing acupuncture these are the washing machines Great. eight showers over here obviously this is okay. a, a issue for permitting participants right. and everything's free to use right yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are coin operated, but we just keep quarters and like three Yeah. Right, right, right. When we finished this conversation, I headed up to the third floor to chat with the executive director of OnPoint, Sam Rivera, and his colleague, Kalen C., the senior director of programs. They're in charge of the harm reduction programs and overdose prevention centers both here in East Harlem and also a few miles northwest up in Washington Heights. So Sam and Kayla, thank you so much, so much for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to, to be here, and it's a pleasure to see you again. It's been a long time. I know, I know. <laughs> so listen, this thing just got the official go-ahead a few months ago for Mayor de Blasio just before he was leaving office. And, you know, his successor, Eric Adams, the new mayor, says he's in favor. But nine months ago, did you think you were going to be first in America to do this? <laughs> yes. So I'll say, <laughs> I'll say I, I, <laughs> this is good. It's perfect. I'll say no, but you heard that yes. That yeah. that's Kaylin, right? Like so, I always <laughs> I always talk about this in that way, where no matter what we talked about in our work, there was always Kaylin. That's why I thought it was perfect. Going same same perception. <laughs> One day we're gonna open. I'm like she does not give this a break, and it's a blessing. It really yeah. is a blessing that that she kept, that you kept bringing it up because whatever we did, it was like, just remember when we open, we need to have this. And I'd be like, okay. And then we, we all bought in. We were like, okay, when we open. Yeah. And it was the way to do it. So when we expanded our drop-in center, when we got the, the you know, we were able to, to acquire the larger drop-in space. When we got the new space in Washington Heights, every conversation was, when we open our OPC, this is what we need. So make sure it looks like this. And I'm like, she just won't stop. Like, she uh -huh. won't stop. And so nine months ago, no. For me, no. But it was there always in, in, in the conversation. 
Kalen definitely believed it. Well, well, because I mean, you think about it. Rhode Island last year became the first state, the state, not just the city, to say let's do it. San Francisco's had a kind of quiet underground site going forever, and the mayor's been in favor. Other mayors, you had the mayor of Ithaca, New York, Svante Myrick, who's been behind it. So you know, a few years ago, you start seeing not just the public health people, but the mayors around the country saying let's do it, and then it seems like they talk to their chief legal counsel, who says to them, you know, I mean, the Trump administration, they could actually put you in jail. And the mayors say, well, let's hold off. And then meanwhile, in New York, you got other organizations who are looking at this. So, I mean, Ken, what made you confident you were going to be number one? We, we were just ready. And this has been um, a goal uh, for not only our organization, but the entire harm reduction community in New York for, for decades. It's a shame that it's still controversial to open these sites in America. I mean, in some ways, in terms of harm reduction and what we could be doing, overdose prevention sites or safe consumption rooms are old news, right? Because they've been up and running in all all kinds of, you know, all over the world, as you mentioned earlier. But as, as, as an organization with our Washington Heights site and our East Harlem site, we have been tiptoeing up to this and preparing for this in a variety of ways for years. I think it's fairly common knowledge that we were operating unsanctioned sites at both of our programs for six years prior to opening, and that was that was strategic. And that by was, unsanctioned sites, I mean my understanding that these were basically kind of bathrooms that were set up so that people could use in a safe place. But so was it that that kind of setup? Yes, but what I think is important to make really clear about about the unsanctioned program was that it acknowledged that people were using and overdosing and dying in public bathrooms all over New York City, alone in their homes, subway stations, underpasses, overpasses, and they were using and overdosing in our bathrooms too. So I really want to applaud the New York State uh, Department of Health, the Office of Drug User Health uh, in particular, for putting guidelines in place to allow for the safe operation of a bathroom program in a harm reduction setting. What we did is what we're very good at doing and we do all the time, which is push those guidelines to the max. Uh-huh. This is our approach to harm reduction services. We have to remember that the war on drugs was born and raised in the United States. Everything about practicing harm reduction authentically is kind of illegal here. So you got to find ways through. And that's what these two agencies have been so good at doing. And our unsanctioned program built off of those guidelines that the New York State Department of Health put in place was really the platform that enabled us operationally to do this when the moment came to be super ready to seize that moment when it presented itself, um, which I reminded Sam every day since he started, was going to come. And then also just for our staff, um, it's a big lift to ask your staff to sit in that kind of witnessing with people consuming drugs every mm-hmm. day. But we were ready because we'd been doing it. We were ready philosophically. We were ready programmatically. Sam and I often say we we met at the, at the right time, um, that it was a combination of what I bring to the table and what he brings to the table. And I really, I think he's 100% right. When you're doing this in New York City, remember, it's a complicated place, right? I mean, first of all, we have yeah. there's city, city regulations, there's state law, and there's federal law. And all of this is still illegal under federal law and in some ambiguous or illegal state under state law. So a lot of this is like kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. Then in New York, right, we're, 
here. New York City is actually made up of five boroughs, right? Five independent cities that unified 125 years ago, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's been a process of getting the buy-in where now you've got four of the five district attorneys in New York City saying, we want to do this. But I want to ask you specifically about a few players. First of all, when it comes, Sam, to the cops, Right. I mean, this thing goes way back. And obviously, you know, local cops must have been aware. So what's the relationship been like with cops and how has that evolved? This is this is exciting. And that's why I think we're both laughing. The police and in, in specifically to the opening of and operating uh, operations of our OPRs, OPC, safe consumption sites have been our partners, have been beyond amazing have been extremely supportive. You know, New York City police, you just never know. Mm -hmm. You just never know. So um, we brought them in. We brought them into the fold. And then being the local people, the precinct commander or local street cops or... Local commanders, conversations weekly at least. It was daily for a while. But weekly with captains and lieutenants from local precincts. Often also sending me texts. I I send one to Caleb. Who's this guy again? Texting, asking if we need anything. The local police asking if we need anything. They asked us, do, did we need anything? We had to keep reminding them, we've been doing this for six years. We haven't mm-hmm. called you. We haven't had any issues for six years. They came in. We met with them. We invited them in. Uh, they came in and took a tour. And that's the thing we keep telling people, especially if you don't believe, if you don't understand what we're doing, come visit. You know, come visit. So they came in, we offered them a tour, and they all came, and we were getting calls like, Kayla and I, the team would be like, there are four cops here, what are we doing? We're like, oh, they came for a tour, we give them a tour. People don't know they don't know what they don't know, right? And people fear what they don't understand. So we very much see it as our role to have an open door, particularly for people who are in opposition or don't, don't understand or have misperceptions about the program. It's our job to nip those in the bud quick because that Mm -hmm. spreads faster than the positive message in some ways. Mm -hmm. So we went to roll call at both precincts, all of them, including the late night one. And everybody's there, you know, standing at attention, very stiff. I'm sweating because I'm just like, fuck, I gotta, this is going to be a hard sell. And then you explain how it works and you explain how it's a benefit to the police and you explain how you want them to work with you, right? You, you sort of, you check all their boxes around anxiety and their misperceptions about the site and you just can visibly see the shoulders relax. And at the end of this, we always say, open invitation to all of you to come, fully expecting that none of them would, none of them. Uh-huh. They all came. They all came. Wow. And that's what Sam's talking about. They would just show up, you know, in groups of like four or six and come in and look at the site. And you can see, you can see the deep breaths and you can see the slow pans and the eyebrows go up. But they're thinking and they're trying to understand and they're asking really thoughtful questions. And when they came in, what what was really really an unexpected benefit was our participants and staff were like, police are here. And... Some, you know, they were hesitant. And then mm-hmm. they saw them come in. They saw us talking with them. We showed them around. Part of that created a safe sort of interaction between our participants and the police. Because the police here talking to us, they know what we're all doing. They felt more comfortable about walking in, knowing that drugs are yeah, on, yeah. on their possession. You know, in their possession, uh, walking into one of our, our sites, knowing that the police know. They know yeah. now. Here we go. Everybody knows like what we're doing here. Proud, you know? It's loud and proud. Um, and then... You know, we would have to talk to them often because they were so happy, interesting enough, happy to be here outside. Sometimes they were in front of the building 
literally five, six of them, we'd be like, can you go across <laughs> yeah, the street? Yeah, yeah. And give us some space? <laughs> uh, the other thing would happen um, uh, is like I would drive in and I see one of them parked in the corner with their lights on. I text the captain. It's wild. Text the lieutenant. Can you tell you guys turn the lights off? It looks, you know, scaring people away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. They get right on it. We'll be talking more after we hear this ad. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It was the first you know, safe injection sites I ever visited. It was one of a couple of sites in Zurich, Switzerland, back 25 years ago. You know where it was located? Yeah. It was on the second floor of a building. The first floor was the police station, <laughs> and the second floor was the safe injection site, and the cops it. were cool with that it, and the, and the injectors. <laughs> this congresswoman, right, is uh, Nicole Maliotaki. It's one of the few... I, I believe it is, yeah. And she's one of the few Republican members of Congress from New York State left. She represents mm -hmm. Staten Island, South Brooklyn, and she's one of the knuckleheads, and uh, she has no direct control, but she's pushing legislation in Congress to try to ban any federal funding, not just for these programs, but for any programs related to these programs, right? Yeah. Now, you've invited her in, I assume. Many times. Time, and she won't, she won't come. <laughs> Many times right? we invite her, so, yes. so you're still dealing with that mentality, but there's another type of opposition you're dealing with, right, which is from the locals, mm -hmm. right? It's when the famous civil rights leader, Al Sharpton, Reverend Al Sharpton, gets up with locals and say, what are you putting this here for? How do you respond to that? No, no, it's a good point because that's the that's what's been out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I reached out to his staff directly who have visited us, who yeah. have walked the site, visited the site. Uh, I am asking Al for, for a comment. 
Uh-huh. It's coming. It's coming. I believe okay. it's coming. I always think it. He tends to land up in the right place, but on the drug issue, he's always taking his time to yes. get there. It was too on the yes. cannabis issue. It was, yes. it was, I think, reflecting some of the black church resistance <laughs> yes. around drug stuff. But his other set of values brings him in the right area. Yeah, you mentioned earlier misinformation. They were they're upset about their view of the oversaturation of programs in Harlem, drug programs in Harlem. Mm-hmm. They are clearly not upset about what we're doing. Part of the misinformation that kind of move them back and go, oh my God, is for some of them, some of them didn't know we've been doing this unsanctioned for six years. So when they heard it, they were like, we're bringing syringes to this neighborhood. And we're like, well, most of you we were talking to, we've been here longer than you. (laughs) So it's not your neighborhood. (laughs) It's our neighborhood. What we tell people is we improved what we were doing. We had an unsanctioned program where we would if if someone overdosed, it was later mm-hmm. in the overdose. It was it was a very dangerous time for the for the individual, mm-hmm. and what we did was improve that. The other thing I've been saying since the beginning is these programs are a response to the community. Mm-hmm. Community doesn't want people using drugs in the street. We don't either. They don't want syringes and paraphernalia in the street. We don't either. Like all of the things they're asking for, we we're answering. The difference is we're courageous. I used to say crazy. We're courageous enough to bring them into our site yeah. and manage them ourselves. Yeah. So the other piece we'll see in time is the neighborhood seeing the difference. Mm-hmm. They're going to see. They've already seen the difference in in, in paraphernalia and syringes right. and stuff. We already know that, we've, that the programs are a great success. But one I'll tell you about. Highbridge Park uh, up in Washington Heights is a very well-known uh, open-air drug consumption and drug market public park that the public doesn't use because it's quote-unquote overrun by drug use. So Highbridge has been a big problem for us, and we've lost a lot of people in Highbridge. You know, our our team attended nine bodies in Highbridge Park over the last couple years of participants Mm. that we know and love, and then there's with syringe litter everywhere. It was absolutely an issue. Sam and I are making all of these pronouncements to the media about how this is going to have an impact on syringes, (laughs) and we're secretly like, it's going to have an impact (laughs) on the syringes, right? (laughs) And we get this email from the Parks Department just a couple days ago saying, have you guys increased your outreach and public safety team? That's Those are our outward-facing teams that do community engagement and syringe cleanup and work with people that are in the camps or in the subway stations. Because in November, our team collected 13,000 syringes from Highbridge Park. And this month, there's only been 1,000. Wow. Like, what? Have you added more people? Wh- oh, like, what's boy. happening? Oh. Like, how? That's so stark. I was so excited for the opportunity to build, I don't know if this is dorky to say, but, like, the consumption side of my dreams. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, they, you know, this was a real cool opportunity, right? We had, we had support, a big support, and they were, they were, going to allow us to build the site that we wanted to build. And I and I don't want to minimize what a what a great privilege and honor that was. So these are polymodality sites. They're not injection sites. You can snort, smoke, sniff, inject, swallow, or otherwise ingest your drugs of choice. And you can do it by dose as determined by the participant. So you can smoke, inject, smoke, sniff if you want to, all in one visit because that's how you decide that your dose is. But I want all of that to happen in front of us because that's how I'm going to keep you safe. If I only let you do one thing and then you got to go and sign back up again, etc. So our Washington Heights site is our peer or consumer-led model. So most of the folks working up there are active in their use currently, were former participants and are now on staff, or have very recent um, drug use experience. 
And then the East Harlem site is the more traditional medical model with a higher threshold of staff, the more traditional stainless steel booths with the big mirrors that you would expect to see. So the Washington Heights site is meant to be uh, cheaper, really, really cost effective, mm -hmm. uh, using paraprofessional staff and active consumers. Um, so that sort of gets at if you're in a jurisdiction where there's no way you're going to be able to get around the licensing for a nurse or a doctor, this is a model that might work for you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the way up to the other end, which is uh, the, the big fancy dancy design build um, supported by clinicians and care coordinators. And then, um, as I'm sure you've seen downstairs, our Nairi uh, Drug User Health Hub is right on the other side. Nairi being the name of the, uh, of the, site of the right East here. Harlem site. Yeah. New York Harm Reduction Educators, NYHRA. Yeah, so, yes. yeah. so the role of the, of the mirror, then that's so that you can observe somebody. Why, why the mirror is there? The mirrors are hotly contested item in a in a safe consumption space, but uh, but we really believe in them. Uh, the mirrors are twofold. One, uh, it allows the participant agency and control over their setting. They can see what's happening around them. So often, uh, drug consumption, particularly in the states, happens quickly. And I'm checking over my shoulder. Am I going to get robbed, arrested? If I'm a woman, am I going to get raped? So no safe for use practices are employed because it's about getting the shot in as quickly as you can and then moving. The mirrors allow them to see what's going on around them, really relax, decreases anxiety, lets people take their time. They're also, for our team, um, to see the onset of a medical emergency the second it starts to happen without having to get up into people's business, right? Drug consumption is ritualized and private and intimate for people, and we want, we want to preserve that space unless we have to go into that mm -hmm. bubble and do something. Um, so it's it's a relationship, right, mm -hmm. between the, the participants. Now, do you see differences? Like, are, are there, they using different drugs in Washington Heights compared to East Harlem? Is yeah. it younger oh, versus older? Oh, yes, Is it more yes, yes, smoking yes, versus yes. injecting? <laughs> what are the paths? Yes, 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 what yes, do they yes. have to do with? Fascinating. <laughs> Any drug policy nerd which is just going to, like, have a field day with our data. It's so fascinating, some of the early stuff that we've seen. Um, the Washington Heights population is significantly younger than the East Harlem population. Um, and all speedball injectors. So they're touching down with us really. So speedball, just to explain, that's the heroin, cocaine, or fentanyl cocaine, or stimulant, opioid. Oh, that's exactly. I love how drug literate you are. Because <laughs> heroin and cocaine are, by and large, constructs in the poorer neighborhoods, right? It's usually the synthetic analogs that are staying here. So it's fentanyl and meth, usually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the good drugs are in Tribeca and Bushwick. <laughs> Harlem is an older population. Um, a lot of veterans in Harlem, too and lots of smoking. So where um, Harlem is getting a dedicated smoking room to accommodate the all of the smokers. And smoking, here. what are they smoking? Is it still crack or crack, is it? K2, cocaine, meth, all kind, even heroin. K2 being the kind of synthetic cannabis. Cannab cannabinoid, sort of yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's smoking, you can smoke at both locations, but here we just really saw um, a need for the larger smoking room because of course, it, once you start to get big, long waits, mm -hmm. you start to work against your objectives, right? Yeah. We don't want people to bounce away from the service. So there's no time limits on people, but if they take too long, you encourage them to try to move into the waiting area. But here's the great thing. Um, no official time limits, but you're absolutely right. We start to do a little bit of sheep herding if we've got a big lineup. But that just means transferring care to our drop-in center. Like, they don't have to leave the building. They don't, we, we have co-located everything here. Uh, food, mm -hmm. nutrition, laundry, showers, medical care, groups, holistic care, free acupuncture, 
all at both sites. Right. So we we really can engage and keep people for so so a walk long time. me through right. So somebody hears about this place and they show up for the first time because some friends told them whatever. How does it work? They walk in, they give their name, first name, last name. They tell talk about their drug preference. I mean, what, what, how, how does it work? Just walk me through the thing. Well, you answered most of it. You, you, yeah. you kind of did, yeah. Um, so our our services are confidential and anonymous, um, which which means you know we're not checking ID, but that doesn't mean that we're not making an effort to get to know people. So you come in, you do uh, an enrollment uh, where you're asked uh, like some very simple questions. Um, but you are asked to acknowledge that you have presented at the site with the purpose of consuming drugs and that you are dependent on drugs, right? And that's sort of our little waiver and release. There's a couple other questions in there as well. Then you're asked what you're going to be using, how you're going to be using. If you weren't here using, where would you be? Have you had an overdose in the last 24 hours or 30 days? What's your housing status? Where do you hang out the most in the city by zip code? Where do you buy most of your drugs in the city by zip code? Have you had an interaction with the police in the last 24 hours or since we last saw you and in the last 30 days? And that's it. Do you check for guns or weapons or anything like no, that? Nothing no, no. At all. You know There's no so metal beautiful? detector, nothing like no, that. No, no. And no security, no metal detector, no patting people down. I, I, I want to go back quickly about the mirrors because there's another yeah. unintended benefit that I love. Watching people start to look at themselves in the mirror. Yeah. Uh -huh. People in pain, and I've been in pain. People in pain and people who are struggling really don't want to look at mirrors. You know, I remember I used to do this, this support group and we talk about how many mirrors you have. I don't want any mirrors in my house. I'm a man, you know. But watching people come in, and one of my girlfriends, <laughs> she, she, she came in the beginning and she would be like, oh, don't look at me. And now she's like, actually one time, two times, Instead of she actually said, I'm not going to use again, like she, you know, because I want to look at myself. I came in a room and she's like, I want to look pretty for my boyfriend. And doing my makeup. She was doing her makeup in the mirror. She didn't want to look at herself the first day, Ethan. Yeah. Like she didn't want to look at herself. She was, she, the light came on because they, there's, a, there's also these really amazing lights. They control themselves. And when she put them on, she was like, oh, like she pulled, she had like a wool. She put a hat down. She didn't want to look at herself. So she went from that to seeing how beautiful she is and, and now joking around and flirting with, you know, mm -hmm. feeling confident about the woman in the mirror. Like, that just touches, it touches for me because, I you know, I've seen her here for, since I came, since I gotten here. And just to see that. And other people. And starting to look at themselves when I know they wouldn't. And talk about different things, you know. Uh, and identifying with, and, and building that relationship with self. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. simply because we have a mirror there. Um, Huge. As far as safety, this is the space. Like we've created the safe space, so we engage our people in protecting the space, mm -hmm. right? So the the blessing, and sometimes we have to manage it. Is people start having a disagreement, which happens really not as much as you would think. Someone else usually steps in and says, "Hey, you know," and says, mm -hmm. "Do you know what you're doing here? Like this is created for us. We cannot do this." Plus, it's important, and for me, you know, a person with lived experience who comes from. Uh, the inner city from the Lower East Side, you know, I want to talk to them about that. Like, this is your space. I know it's ours, but this is this is really your space. We built this for you. So what you do here really matters, and how you show up really matters. This is sacred ground. This is sacred ground. The church. Mm -hmm. This is the church. This is sacred ground. And the church ground, of safe injection? That's the, that's what we, the, the, yeah. the church of safe consumption the of safe is consumption. what we were calling right. it. We have right. a story about that. But 
This is sacred ground. And for Native people, I'm a Native American. And for Indigenous people, sacred ground is where things change and things are blessed and people mm -hmm. people uh, are, are honored in a certain way. And we have two spaces in the city of many. This is Lenape land. But in the city, we have two spaces that are sacred yeah. ground for people who are uh, who are oftentimes, you know, treated as disposable and mistreated and unloved. So the blessing here, and I'm telling you, is I go down to that room and I go in the drop-in center three, four, five times a day. And people tend to think I'm going down there to be the boss. I'm going down there for medicine, for good medicine, yeah. to watch people be loved in a way that they're not used to. And it really does something for me. I mean, yeah. it, we've had some people come up here and I talk to them and they go, I go, why are you here? Oh, because I'm in trouble. You're here because I love you and I care about you. And they don't know what to do. They're like, what, what do you mean? That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Another thing, and I don't remember everyone's name, but believe me, Ethan, I will turn around quickly and say, what's this person's name? What's because if I call them by their name, yeah. it is a beautiful moment, man. One of the places where the whole 12-step, you know, recovery movement intersects with harm reduction is that both of them deep down are about enabling people to uncover and recover their basic sense of dignity. Yes. Right? And that when people get called by their own name or when they get approached in a kind of non-judgmental way because we don't judge people because about what the drugs they're putting in their body, that's fundamental yeah. to people's coming along. And think about... Our buddy, Howard Josepher, taught me a lot. And um, just Howard Josepher's day again, he's the guy who founded Exponents, which was really a pioneering program in New York that integrated harm reduction, drug treatment, helping people coming out of jail to get their lives together. Right. So many of the harm reduction leaders in the city are graduates that's of Howard right. Josepher's program. Right. I graduated in 1992. Howard did a thing once, and he did many things, but I was in one of his trainings, and he, and he does this thing that I've been doing now for years, which is having a conversation with people who are using and identifying the, re the root cause and telling people, do you understand why you use? Yeah, I'm a bum, I'm a junkie, I don't, no, I'm a loser. You use because you're self-medicating pain, traumatic mm. experience, a mental health condition. Mm -hmm. And I would watch people go, what? Because that's not what they've been taught. That's not what they believe. So, you know, I've taken that piece Howard has given mm -hmm. me many years ago and expanded on it and have conversations, individual conversations, even in the OPR mm -hmm. while someone's there. It's not my thing. Like it was Howard's, right? Like we yeah. just let's keep carrying it forward. It's really about the person receiving the message and watching their reaction. A light goes off. Like yeah, I'm yeah. not all these things people told me I am. Yeah. And a person who uses drugs is one part of who they are. Like I've been saying for years. I've committed crime, but doesn't identify me. Let's take a break here and go to an ad. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Because this other thing about this is one of the, I remember the key selling points on needle exchange programs back 25, 30 years ago in the U.S., I think it was one of those early programs, Dave Purchase, Tacoma, and what he showed that the needle exchange program was the number one point of referral into abstinence-based drug treatment programs. And my understanding is here, too, you have people, right, you're referring people to methadone, buprenorphine, recovery, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I'll I mean, say something real quick yeah, about that. There's also this perception, this perception that none of them tried treatment before. And we know that my interaction is at 100%. They've all tried it. They tried some, some part of it, right? Yeah. How they got there mattered, right? Because too many people who are just sending them to treatment, mm-hmm. what you're doing is enabling. It's not true because we know they've tried. Mm-hmm. That means they won't try again, but the, the, you just want to be clear. We want to be really, really clear that our folks have tried sometimes numerous times. There's this perception that the absence-based world and the harm reduction world uh, are at odds, and and I just think that they're they're in a slightly dysfunctional marriage. and But they're married, and there are a few things that both worlds really agree on. You know, the number one predictor of an overdose fatality is a previous overdose. And we also know that most people who are uh, as entrenched in their addiction as the folks that we work with are, there's a 98% chance of a return to use after leaving an abstinence-based program. 98%, it might as well be 100%. So if, if the likelihood of a return to use is that high, you better hope there's a harm reduction program nearby to catch that person when they return to use. Because, you know, they, when you return to use after a period of abstinence, you have no tolerance and you're mm-hmm. at such a high risk of overdose fatality. But... You know, you're preaching to the choir, I got to say, because what was right on top of Insight in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. a detox and treatment program literally operated by Insight, one staircase above the consumption facility. And, you know, 
I just know that Sam is so excited for that to be the next thing that we tackle together because that's where we got to go. Well, actually, let me ask you about this because, yeah. you, know, you know, even when I was running Drug Policy Alliance, I was advocating for the safe injection sites over prevention centers. But this other thing that I would never let go of was moving forward on heroin prescribing. Having a site where you can get legal heroin pharmaceutical, you know, and these things also start in Switzerland back in the 90s. You now have them in Switzerland and Germany, the Netherlands, the UK. You have them in Canada. I think they're about to open up in Norway, you know, and but we can't seem to get it going in the U.S. And I've been in places in Geneva or other places where you have there's a safe injection program. There's a heroin prescribing program, you know, but the people complain about a safe injection program because people are still buying their drugs illegally. They're still using drugs that they don't exactly know what's in it. They don't know how much fentanyl is in it. They don't know what it's cut with. There's all those risks. And here's the heroin prescription program where you're getting a prescribed dose legal. You can't take it home with you. And so, I mean, I, I, I'm immensely frustrated that this is not moving forward as well. And in fact, it sometimes seemed to me that the cops would be more comfortable with heroin prescription programs and safe injection because heroin prescription is all legal, like a methadone program, where safe injection still involves people buying their drugs on the streets, buying them illegally, and all this sort of stuff. So is there some movement afoot to try to get these things going, and whether it's with a university or something? Well, I see Kayla's <laughs> nodding here, so say a little something about that. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be uh, evasive, but we, we are working with one of the hospitals in New York City and some of the doctors there on several different research applications around around heroin maintenance and safe supply. Mm -hmm. These are New York-based doctors who have all visited some of the locations that you've mentioned who came roaring back to the U.S. <laughs> saying, we got to do oh, this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so it is happening. It's just, it's just uh, you know, what happens when we submit the proposals, you know, you know, I realized I forgot to ask you a detail about the overdose stuff, because here you are called an overdose prevention center. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand that not, not every overdose results in death, and not every overdose reversal is saving a life. So just explain a little more about that detail, right? So yeah. explain about, you know, like what percent of overdoses actually might could result in a fatality, and how do you intervene when you see something happening? It's, it's hard to say, to, to your question of how many of the, what are we at, 128 overdoses yeah. in two months that we've intervened in? And the vast majority are depressant or opiate-involved overdoses. It's hard to say how many of those would have resulted in fatalities. What we can say is that, thank God, we don't know, <laughs> right? Because because the staff is there at the, the second of onsite of the overdose, um, we're preventing the loss of consciousness. It's a kind of overdose response very unique to this environment. If you can keep the brain firing, if you can keep oxygen to the brain and prevent the loss of consciousness, you essentially stop the progression of the overdose. If you overdose but you're not going to die, is there still some damage that happens to the brain even yes, from overdose? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So a so couple things about that. There's this real reliance on naloxone, and we're very grateful to naloxone. It absolutely is a miracle drug. It does it does what it's supposed to do very beautifully, which is intervene in these really mostly fentanyl-involved overdoses. But long before naloxone existed, people were intervening in overdoses with just oxygen, right? Like, overdose response is really, really fundamentally about oxygenation. And as long as we can keep the brain healthy and keep the brain firing, the brain then doesn't shut down the rest of the body. Um, so we choose to approach our overdose response from that perspective, oxygen first and naloxone only when necessary and just enough to pull the opiate off the receptor so that respiration can resume. 
We don't want to be making people dope sick or putting them into withdrawal because that's a negative experience. Um, and who knows what they had to so do. So a high dose of naloxone is more likely to result in some dope sickness because they'll have a more rapid withdrawal from the opioid effect? Yes. Anyone who's dependent on opiates um, is put into some degree of withdrawal with naloxone. The higher uh, dose of naloxone, the more severe the mm -hmm. withdrawal. And that's not a pleasant experience for anyone. And that's that's not the... That's not what we want to be offering mm -hmm. to our participants in, in these settings. But you're absolutely right ab about this emerging uh, landscape of people who are surviving their overdoses um, or years of being in, in a kind of a heavier opiate nod, mm -hmm. having long-term cognition problems, right? Harm reduction works and drug users are living longer. Like used to be if you were 40 and you were a drug user, you were a senior citizen. That's not true anymore. Well, when I was downstairs, it looked like your average age was probably around 40. There, oh, I mean, we got some gray hairs down there and <laughs> hallelujah for that. Um, but we are seeing this other, you know, this new kind of uh, landscape in our work, which is, um, you know, long-term brain damage from ongoing overdose occurrence and long periods of mm -hmm. being in a knot. It's something that the harm reduction community is looking at, but oxygen, oxygen, oxygen. I and see. it's a best practice in safe consumption in other parts of the world um, to intervene with uh, oxygen before well, so, you know, I, I saw when I was giving the tour before that you have these drug test strips too, right, to check for fentanyl, other drugs, and you're collecting data. And mm -hmm. so what are you finding, generally speaking, is fentanyl in almost everything from opioid to stimulants and also are people is there methamphetamine in New York now um, oh, or yeah. you know it, it, or is cocaine still around or are the synthetic K2 cannabinoid things where people don't really know I mean what are you Just, finding and what's what, are, and do you see trend lines yeah it's the party pack everything is here the one thing that we don't have yet thank God knock 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 is we're not seeing car fentanyl or any of the other um uh, really, really potent. Yeah, just uh, to explain, carfentanil is another analog of fentanyl, even more potent than fentanyl, and it showed up in Ohio a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden the overdose fatality rate went up like 50%. So we are lucky in New York. We're very about lucky that. to not see that. But just, just as relates to fentanyl, um, you know, us, like many of the other harm reduction providers in New York, have been testing with the fentanyl testing strips for years and years. We've been testing since uh, 2016. We haven't had a negative bag of heroin since 2017. So we don't even use our fentanyl test strips for opiates anymore. We operate from the basis, the presumption of positive. So anyone who's using opiates, that's our campaign. Assume it's positive. Mm -hmm. Where the fentanyl test strips become really useful for us is for opiate naive people or people who aren't using opiates mm -hmm. who are just going to get blown over by a fentanyl positive dose of a stimulant or a party pill or a research chemical mm -hmm. or whatever else. And that takes using. me back to your previous question. And, you know, I, I said this, I don't know, the other day or something. The last seven weeks, I haven't gotten the calls we, we would get every morning. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt like every morning. But we would get calls, like, who did we lose now? Even if it was someone we didn't know, we would get a call that there was another person. That, to me, is a complete and clear com connection to the services we're running and, and mm -hmm. the fact that we're allowing mm -hmm. folks to come in and use safely because we're not seeing it the way we were. The hardest part right now for me is we close every night, yeah. and that hurts. It, I, I, Ethan, it hurts, man. Like when I drive off, I see the gate going down. It, it hits so me. So you're, you're, you're aiming for 24-7? Definitely. No, we're, not we're, aiming. Aiming. We're on our way. You're on your oh, way. We're on our way. Oh, yeah, it's going, it's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. That's fantastic. Just not fast enough. I mean, do you foresee mobile units, like mobile vans, also going out to other boroughs? Is You've that been reading all stuff, man. You've been... No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just wondering. Yes, definitely. You know? Definitely. Okay, okay. And definitely. elsewhere in the city, Brooklyn coming up we soon. Want we, I want mean, yes. uh, we want them. We want Other organizations doing this. And, and, I, I will say something very quickly. You asked, because you were starting to talk about it earlier. Why us? Why were we selected? We're go. ready. I'm leaving you okay, now. You're, you're on your Because I'm going to a call with Nevada to help them get their site. There you do. You see this? Okay, yeah, really thank you very much. <laughs> and Sam, uh, you know, the uh, almost penultimate question here. I was very pleased when I walked in. I saw a little sign saying, if you smoke, join our nicotine vaping group here, <laughs> which I'm a huge fan of. And I see yeah. Helen Redmond, who's been a real yeah, champion yeah, yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. So are, is there a real effort being made here to get people who are smoking to encourage them to switch to the from cigarettes to the oh, nicotine yes. vaping? Oh, yes, for sure. Especially through our holistic treatment program. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm also an auricular acupuncturist since 1992. And I've been treating people for years who want to stop smoking. You know, and it's worked. I mean, yeah. We have a really good approach to it. So, yeah, overall... If we, if we get people to stay alive, now how do we keep them alive in other yeah. ways, right? Because most of our folks also have other chronic conditions. So how yeah. do we manage those? So we're always looking at other ways to expand what we're doing. Right. Um, we also know that a lot of uh, organizations don't aren't too comfortable working without people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we send them places and they go, oh, man, you know, the way they showed up. So the more we see that, the more we expand mm -hmm. and want to be the, per the, the organization that provides more services yeah. for them. Our, our next big one coming up is food and nutrition. We're very close to opening a very, very uh, robust food and nutrition program. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, just answering gaps yeah, and yeah. conducting gaps analysis. No, it's a holistic health approach that That's includes right. everything. Samuel, look, it's great to hear what you're doing. Great to see you here. Yeah, so, you, you, listen, thank you're you. You're one of the guys who taught me, man. Come on, yeah. all that shit. Sam, it's the way you've grown into this thing, what you do, and you're playing a pioneering role, not just for the city, but for the country. Thank so, you. so thank you, thank and you know, you. and also thank you to Kalen as well. Thank you. Great. Before I left, I wanted to chat with at least one of the clients who had come that day. The staff asked around, and a young fellow named Kat agreed to talk with me. So, so your name's Kat Kazim? Yeah, they call me Kat. Kat, Kat. And so Kat, listen, so where do you live? Um, in the Bronx. In the Bronx? Uh, and so you come down, how often do you come down here? Um, every now and again. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe once or twice a week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and were you coming here even before it became a legal open place? They had a mobile unit on the corner yeah. doing hepatitis C and HIV testing. Uh -huh. And, you know, they had two trucks and giving out supplies and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I had, I went and took a, a hepatitis C test yeah. and an HIV test. Yeah. And, you know, they filled me in on the, you know, the workings of the, the place. So you already started coming here back then? Yeah, that's Did when I started coming. Did it back then? I mean, I thought then it was more like... Uh, yeah, it was different. It yeah, was different. Like more like bathrooms with lighting. Yeah, like yeah, basically. So, so which drugs are you using? Um, heroin. Heroin. But the heroin, all the heroin's got fentanyl in it now. I believe so. Uh-huh. But you know, if you get without fentanyl in it, it's, it's quite useless. Because, like you said, almost everything has it in there. So if something doesn't have it in there, that yeah. you, being that you're so accustomed to it already, it's like useless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing the change, you yeah. know. And basically injecting it. Injecting? Well, okay. I, I, I inject it, but I used to just sniff. And why did you transition from uh, from sniffing into injecting? I have absolutely no idea. Really? If you if you sniff or whatever like that, you know, you, 
you have to just you don't have to really worry about anything just oh, sniffing, but you got to make sure it don't get wet or any yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. stuff like that. But if um if you inject, you know it doesn't really matter because you're putting it in water anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. Do you like the sensation of the injecting more than the, sni- the sniffing? I actually did like the sniffing better because it, it lasted longer. Yeah. To me. The high end of the, the stuff. Like, I could buy one bag and it'll probably last right. me like a day or two. Uh-huh. I think and that's the methanol thing, you do, you still go in that program there? Yeah. yeah. So you go to it's the methanol? Right around the corner. Oh, right here. Yeah. So you, but you live in the Bronx, but you go to the methanol program in Harlem and uh, and this place. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you go in the methanol program, you go in there every day, basically, the methanol every program? Every other day. Every other day? So they give you one day take home? Yeah. Uh-huh. What goes methanol you on? 40. 40. Yeah. So it's a low dose. Yeah. So when you do the heroin, you can still get high. Supposed to, but I don't. <laughs> you don't really get high. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why, but I just don't. Do you worry about overdosing at all? I mean, with the fentanyl. I did it one time. I yeah. overdosed one time, and I think that was like when the fentanyl just got around, Come and I wasn't now? familiar with it yet. So I was at my mother's house, and uh, uh, somebody else was there, so. She had hit me with the um the Narcan twice and I didn't get back up. And um my friend had told her to put ice on my yeah. testicles yeah. or whatever like that. I guess yeah. that, that woke me up. Yeah. But the Narcan and the Naloxone actually did not wake you up at the moment? That's yeah, that's what they said. Wow. It's like you gave it to me twice and I didn't get up. So did that scare you a lot when that happened or not so much? I mean, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, because you know, like dead. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I didn't I didn't I didn't realize it. I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Until after, when the knock is the knocking pushes everything out, so you just like, oh, ah, yeah. you feel like shit. I mean, you feel like, oh my god. Uh-huh. So, what do you think of What do you think of this place? I like it. I what like do you like it. about it? Somewhere to go, you know. It's like going to a program, but not going to a program. Like, it's just a place where, you know, it's like a break all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you go out, like if you have a class and you get a 15-minute recess and then everybody's in like a smoke area. Yeah, yeah. That's like, the, this is for, for hours. Uh-huh. <laughs> and can, so when you come here, you hang and then you're able to go into the back room and inject there. Mm-hmm. And you never had an overdose situation here. No. Right? Everything's no. pretty, pretty yeah. here. Yeah. And do you ever use the, the testing trips to see what's in the drugs you bring in here? Yeah, yeah. And uh, is it always the same, like heroin-fentanyl combo, basically? Very once in a while you'll see um, without very rare, without without fentanyl without fentanyl yeah uh-huh. so for you a lot about this place it's not even so much as having it's not so much having a safe place to inject it's just a nice place to hang out and be yeah right because you have other places you could inject yeah I could live by safely. myself yeah, I yeah. I, I gotta, so you're a loner but you like to be around people somewhere and this is a good place yeah. for it yeah yeah pretty much. <laughs> I appreciate talking to you, though. Yeah. Okay? Good meeting you. I felt exhilarated after spending my afternoon at On Point. What inspired me was that here, at last, was an outpost of decency and pragmatism in not just my own country, but my own city. Drug consumption sites like these have saved tens of thousands of lives around the world, and tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people living really difficult lives have found a place where they can chill out, safely use the drugs they would otherwise be using alone or on the streets, find a little community, talk to a health professional or social worker, get some care, have a cup of coffee, wash their laundry, and just be treated like a human being. It matters, of course, that programs like these don't just help the people they serve, 
They also reduce the public nuisance associated with drug users hanging on the streets, including used syringes lying around, and they save taxpayers money by reducing police and emergency medical costs. Moreover, those prevention centers will soon open in other parts of New York City and hopefully in other cities as well. I must admit that I don't fully understand what the Biden administration is waiting for. All they need to do is give a qualified green light, just like the Obama administration did 10 years ago when Colorado and Washington legalized marijuana, even though it was and still is illegal under federal law. I know the politics of this issue can be tough, not least because even as more and more Republicans have come around to joining Democrats and supporting harm reduction and marijuana legalization and reducing prison populations, the issue of overdose prevention centers is one on which Republicans can't resist reverting to old drug war rhetoric. But the bottom line is that these sites save lives and money and are all the more crucial when more people than ever are dying from using illegal and unregulated drugs of unknown potency and purity. We need hundreds of programs like this around the country. They won't solve the overdose epidemic, but they will save the lives of thousands and improve the lives of many more. If you're enjoying Psychoactive, please tell your friends about it. Or you can write us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your own stories, comments, and ideas, then leave us a message at 1-833-779-2460. That's 833-PSYCHO-0. Or you can email us at psychoactive at protozoa.com or find me on Twitter at Ethan Nadelman. You can also find contact information in our show notes. Psychoactive is a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. It's hosted by me, Ethan Nadelman. It's produced by Noam Osband and Josh Thane. The executive producers are Dylan Golden, Ari Handel, Elizabeth Giesis, and Darren Aronofsky from Protozoa Pictures, Alex Williams and Matt Frederick from iHeartRadio, and me, Ethan Nadelman. Our music is by Ari Belusian, and a special thanks to Avivit Bar-Yosef, Bianca Grimshaw, and Robert Beebe. Next week, we'll be talking about Mexico's century-long experience with drug prohibition with two of Mexico's leading drug specialists, Alejandro Madrazo and Catalina Perez. Subscribe to Psychoactive Now so you don't miss it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zip. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 